You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Alrighty, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, if not, there's one right in the pew in front of you. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4. Um, what I want to do is I want to read um, some of what we talked about uh, last week, and then the rest of that passage today. This is all encompassing the event that happened uh, while Jesus went into this, his hometown synagogue um, to proclaim the good news to the poor. So, I want to read this, this whole passage, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive in to see what, what God has for us, to see the reaction to what Jesus preached with the people that were in the synagogue. So if you pick up with me, starting at verse 16, the word of the Lord says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogues were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard from you at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up in three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. Father, I just pray today that your spirit will help us to see, again, the, the greatest flaw that we have that comes from Genesis 3, and that is our self-sufficiency. As we've been singing about God's grace, and as Nate has been reminding us that we bring nothing but our need, and yes, our rebellion to the table. It's all of his grace that saves us. And Lord, I, I pray today that you will help our unbelief. Not just our unbelief, maybe there is one here today or someone tuning in online that does not know you and maybe today is their day of salvation. Today there is, the, is their day of jubilee where they will be freed from sin through trusting in you. But for the rest of us who are in Christ and who have followed Christ, Lord, I pray that you will help us in whatever area of life that we're struggling in, in whatever area of unbelief that we have. Father, I pray that you will help us to believe and trust that you are sufficient in that. 
Lord, I pray that as we see those that heard this great message, I come to proclaim good news to the poor. I pray that you will help us see that today, that we are definitely poor and are in desperate need. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke has been taking us where Jesus, he took, took us into the desert with Jesus, and then Jesus comes out of the desert filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit anoints his, his time, and, and he goes all around the region of Galilee preaching in the different synagogues and the different towns. And then last week we saw that Jesus comes home, comes to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue as, it's, as his custom and stands up and opens the scroll. When he opens the scroll, he reads right down to Isaiah 61. And he reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll and he sits down and he goes to explain as the custom within the synagogue. It was a simple message, real simple message. At some point in the future, God will send a prophet to proclaim good news to the poor. This is what, if you're reading it from Isaiah's point of view, that's what the, the passage is saying, is one day there will be a Messiah, one day there will be a prophet, there will be one that come and proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim the gospel, the Messiah, he'll come. And what did Jesus say about all that Isaiah said? He simply said this. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I have fulfilled that. Now he's said more than that, I do believe, and, and, and a lot of other folks that, that I've read really believe that because he says, and he began to say to them these things, and then also the other things that we're going to look at today that, that he said to them. But he was saying, he was announcing that I am the one that Isaiah talked about that is going to come and proclaim good news to the poor. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I come to, pro to proclaim good news to the poor, which I said last week was, was no less than the financially poor Right, or the economically poor people. It was no less than that, but, but Jesus is, is after much more than that. It's no less than that, but it's also those that are spiritually poor. Or as Jesus would say in his message in Matthew, the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Simply put this way, it's those that know that they are in need. It's those that know that they are in need. So the question is for those in attendance that morning and also for us today is do we believe him? Do we believe him that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that comes to, to release the captives, to set us free from our sin? Do we trust him? Because many of us, I know sitting here today, I know many of you has trusted him back here that you've been freed. But you know what? The gospel is not just for back here. It's for everyday stuff of life. So what, what are you struggling with right now that you need freed from because of unbelief? See, there's something in your life, if, if it's sin that you're struggling with, and that's 100% of us. Um, it's 100% of us that is struggling with some kind of sin in our life because we are not yet glorified. 
So the root of that is some unbelief in the gospel, some unbelief that Jesus is not enough, that, that I have to chase after these other things, and this is what's causing me to go against what the Word of God says, which is called sin. So this is their question. Will, will they believe? Will you believe? Do we believe today that we are in need? Did you come through the door today being, being out in the world, being in a fallen world, dealing with our flesh, dealing, dealing with everything that's happening in your world? Did you come through the doors today saying, man, I just need God. I need to, to praise him for all that he has done because I know that I might have struggled this week or there might be some heavy things in my life, but you know what? I have been delivered. I have a great hope waiting for me. Did you come through the doors today? I know you're probably, everyone's tired. We lost an hour of sleep if we didn't adjust from that. But did you come through the door knowing I need something today? I need you, Jesus. I need you. Will we receive the truth that Jesus is the Messiah? That Jesus is the deliverer and savior who would rescue his people and usher in the kingdom of God? Will we trust him today? Well, let's look at their response. They've heard the message. How did they respond? Verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Now, before we determine the nature of their response, we need to be reminded that these people grew up with Jesus. He's in his hometown, right? So these, these people have children that grew up with Jesus, um, I would imagine that a lot of these parents used that story, remember, that we talked about that Luke gave us where Jesus stayed behind and his parents was frantically looking for him. You know that every parent in Nazareth told that story because Mary told that story to other people and used it against their kids to say, now don't, don't be like Jesus who, and, and scare us like that. You, you know, I mean, he was a carpenter. So many of these people probably even had furniture or items that he made sitting in their house. So we don't leave that aspect of it. Don't forget that. Don't remove it so much that this is just words on a paper and a book to study, but we've got to kind of put ourselves in their position also. So we, let's not forget that. When we simply read the verse, it seems to me that after hearing what Jesus said, it would be something like we would probably say it like this. Oh, that was cool. Like, that was real cool, but isn't this the son of Joseph? Right, that, that was cool. I would maybe even go as far as to say that I like the message, that they liked the message, sorry, that they liked the message. They were proud of the local boy who made good, right? He was, he was well known, he was out preaching the word, and, but isn't this Joseph's son, right? And it's interesting with this passage, like, you know, I study and, and I, I read the passage many, many times, and then, then if there's some things I don't understand, I go to the commentaries to understand that. And then when they start arguing, which really frustrates me because they're always arguing about this word or that word and what does this mean, that weeds. Um, you know, what they were arguing about is, okay, were they upset at what he said or were, did they like what he said? Right? Or did, was there some kind of combination in the middle? And, and usually when I get to this point, so I step back and I have some, the, the gentleman that I will go to and say, 
How did they preach it? Right? There's about six of them. And guess how did they land it? Well, three of them said that they liked it, and three of them said that they were upset about it. And I'm like, well, that's not real much help. So I call Marty, and hey, Marty, come on across the hallway there. It is. What do you think this fascist is saying? I think in some instances they actually liked it in, in some ways, but I really don't think that they understood it. I really don't think they understood it because of what Jesus did afterwards. Right, because of what Jesus said afterwards kind of shows us they really didn't understand what he was saying. They had no clue what he was saying in many respects. Right? They, they just didn't understand it. People in Nazareth were amazed at his speaking ability, but they did not understand what he was actually saying. And this wasn't, I'm not alone in that opinion. There's others that I, I'd be glad to, to show you that are among that opinion. The message that Jesus proclaimed was good news to the poor. Keep that in mind. Who are the poor? Those who are in need. Those who know that they are in need. Now think about the Jewish people. All through, all through many of you have read many of the different accounts. You've read all through four Gospels. You've read them many times. What was the Jews' main problem? <laughs> they were self-righteous. They were self-sufficient. Right? They also had the idea that we are the chosen people, so we don't need Right? We don't need to repent. We don't need to do this idea and believe and trust in Christ. It was, it was the, a barrier for them. And the Jewish people were anything but poor in spirit, were they not? We will see it here, and Jesus is going to keep beating that drum all through his ministry. Right? The, the Jewish people thought, we are good people. We are moral people. We are hardworking people. They believe the Bible. We deserve salvation because we... The salvation came to us. We, it's Yahweh who saves, and, and we are his children because of Abraham, right? Jesus is coming to reset everything. We are the people the Messiah is coming for. This is the people sitting in the, in the synagogue would be saying, we are the people the Messiah is coming for. After all, but we are under the thumb of these Romans, so yeah, you're right, Jesus, we are the poor, we are the oppressed, right? We are under the thumb of these Romans, these bad, immoral people, these idol worshipers. Someday the Messiah will come. But this is Joseph's son. What's he going to do? Well, this is what they believed. Well, of course, he's going to lead the good people to triumph over the bad people. He's going to raise up the nation and, and use his power to squash the Romans and free them. I mean, the Jewish people were thinking, we're the prisoners, we're the oppressed, we're the poor, we're the ones who don't have self-government, we're the ones who are taxed into the ground, we're the ones who don't have sovereignty of our state. Therefore, when he comes, he's going to save us from that political realm. Jesus is like, you're missing it. You're missing it. You didn't understand a word I said. You would not be so happy if you understood what I said. If you are that legalistically buttoned up, you do not like the good news. Because what you are trusting in for your salvation is your goodness. And then when you hear the gospel, the gospel is all of grace. You don't bring anything to the table. You don't like that message. Because, see, this is what happened in the fall, 
Right? Did God really say that? Let me take the apple so I can be my own God. So I can be, right, the king of the kingdom of one. Me. So when we hear the gospel, oftentimes it is, it bugs us. And oftentimes we will dismiss it by saying, you're saying that all I have to do is believe the gospel and it will help me change? Yes. And you're like, nope, nope, I don't like that. I have to do something. No, you need to believe something. You need to believe something. You need to change your thinking, which will change your, your desires and then it will change your choices. You need to believe something. It is not all your good things that save you. And this is exactly what the Jewish people, they would line up the list of things. And Jesus is like, you missed it. And that's with all of us. If we actually finally get to hear the gospel message, you might just find it somewhat offensive. Why is it offensive? Because it's going against the way you want to do things because of the fall because you're working out your salvation in the flesh. That's why Paul keeps on telling us, you must trust in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Kill the stinking flesh. Walk by the Spirit. If you have never found it offensive, if you have never found it upsetting, have you ever really heard it? Have you ever really heard it? Because see, those in poor in spirit know they are in need and they have to lay down themselves in order to be saved by another. And man, that is so hard for someone who has fallen and even those that are in Christ who are working out their salvation, who are being sanctified as we do this little by little by little by little. That's what it means to be glorified is one day we will let it all go and, and, and the sin will be gone and uh, there's no, no presence of it whatsoever. So we will have no inclination to try to do anything on our own. We'll be all trusting in God, our Savior. They didn't get it. They didn't get the message. Because what the good news says is, is all of our justification is just filthy rags. And the number one barrier to belief is our self-righteousness, is our idea that we can justify ourselves. And you know what? It, it, it works you know, under, under the radar, so to speak, because it's part of the fall. See, the true poor in spirit know that they need a Savior because they know their sin has separated them from God. This is why I had Tim read that passage. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are sick. They didn't get the message. So now Jesus is going to explain and they will react to his explanation, showing us when you truly hear the gospel, it can be an offense at some level. So Jesus starts his explanation. In Luke 4, 23, he says, And he said to them, Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in the hometown as well. All right, now, what are they looking for? What did he do in Capernaum? He did, he did some healings, casting out some demons. And then Jesus makes this mysterious comment, 
physician, heal yourself. Well, what in the world is that all about? Well, in those days, medicine was a rather haphazard science, if you would even call it a science at all. People were skeptical of doctors. And when someone would propose a remedy, guess what they would say? You want me to drink that? How about this? You drink that first, we'll see what happens, and then I'll drink it maybe later on, right? So you see what he's, what he's pointing out here. Jesus wasn't peddling a potion. He was offering redemption. So they wanted a sign that he was the Messiah. I mean, after all, this is Joseph's boy. This is Joseph's boy. They wanted a sign. Jesus goes right to the point with the Jewish people. They don't believe. They don't believe. They need a sign in order to believe. God, you need to do something first in order for me to believe. Well, God's already done something for us in 2023. We have the cross. He's already done something for us. But here in in, in the synagogue, the Jews are saying they need a sign to believe. We need a sign to believe. What we heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. This didn't require a supernatural discerning spirit for Jesus to figure out that they didn't get the message. Why do you think that is? You ever think of that? They're like, when he's reading these and he's coming, it's almost like he's reading their hearts. Well, yeah, he is. He is reading their hearts. But he's not doing it supernaturally, I don't think. Maybe he is. Maybe the Holy Spirit gave it to him at this point in time because the Holy Spirit, he's under an anointing of the Holy Spirit. But what does Jesus know walking into the synagogue? Remember, this is his custom. He's grown up learning what? The Old Testament. He knows these people. It's been their pattern forever to not believe the word of God over and over and over again. God says, do this and I will bless you. And they're like, nope, I don't want. I'll go this way. Okay, then I'll send curses and then I'll relieve the curses and I'll send another person to give you a blessing. Nope, we don't want that. Jesus knows their heart, not out of supernatural things because he knows the Old Testament. He knows their pattern of life. He knows all of our patterns of life because it's the result of the fall. We consistently and always want to be our own savior. We are the king of the kingdom of one all the time. He knew of Israel's unbelief. He knew of it because he learned the Old Testament, all these stories. Many people have the same attitude today. Perhaps they have heard that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Savior of the world, who died on the cross for sins and rose again with the power of eternal life. They're almost willing to believe it, yet they feel they need something more than just the preaching of the gospel. They want some kind of proof. If only God would solve their financial problems or give them the relationship they are hoping to have in life or take away their pain, their suffering. If only he would speak to them then they would believe in him. No, you would believe in what he did, not in him. This is the pattern of the Jewish people throughout history. They rejected God's messengers and God's message. So many of the prophets of the Old Testament were sent to the Jewish people with a message from God, and they simply rejected it. Jesus says in Luke 4:24 and he said truly I say to you no prophet is acceptable in his hometown God sends his messengers to his people and they consistently reject them they refuse to believe 
Isn't this just Joseph's boy? Just to prove his point, Jesus gives two examples. Starting in verse 25, but, it, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to, to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. So Jesus comes to proclaim the good news to the poor. Well, we have two instances here. Here's the first one, which is the widow, and she was very poor. She was both economically poor, but there was even more than that. What is the land of Sodom? What is that place? Well, Sodom was Jezebel's stomping ground. Zarephath was on Baal's home turf. She was a, completely a pagan. She definitely needed saving. She's completely a pagan. She wasn't within Israel. She was outside of Israel. And this is the, also the point that, and I'm going to get ahead of myself now, but this is also the point that Luke's trying to play. If, you, if you've ever noticed our tagline, it says the gospel for all people. Because Luke's main point here, both in Luke and Acts, is it's not just for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. So, so many of those alls that we read in our Bibles, that's what it's meaning. It's for the Jew and the Gentile. This town that Zarephath lived in, the town contained all the brazen idolatry, unholy sacrifices, and temple prostitution that went along with Baal worship. Elijah go down to the cesspool of sin and not just go there, but dwell there for a while. This is what God tells Elijah. In fact, there's, this is where you, you will get your next meal, Elijah, because see what happened is, is again, if we, if, we, if we go back to 1 Kings, Right, they're under judgment again, and what God said is, is I'm not going to send any rain or any dew. And a lot of things are going to die, but Elijah, I'll keep you alive because you've, you've obeyed me and, and you're, you're, you're doing what I've asked you to do. So he had, he had some birds feeding for a while, and, and then now he's sending them to this, he, God is sending him to this widow, and, he, and he's sending him down into Baal land, into this cesspool of sin. And this is where you'll get your next meal. So when Elijah comes upon Zarephath, this widow, what was she doing? She was, she was actually gathering sticks because she knew she had one meal left. And she actually said that to Elijah, that, well, I'm gathering sticks so me and my son can eat our last meal and die. That's what's going to happen. That's just the reality of it. And Elijah asked for a drink of water and a morsel of bread. And at first the woman refused. In 1 Kings 7, 12, it says, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little oil and a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Elijah told her not to be afraid, but to go ahead and bake him a cake. Then feed herself and her son. He told her this on the basis of a promise from God. The jar of flour, this is 1 Kings 17, 14, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. In other words, you know what? This is what I'm telling you that God said. If you make this for me, then that jar will never go empty. It's kind of like our clothing closet downstairs. It just seems to never go empty. 
Amazingly, the widow did what Elijah said. She went home to bake him some bread with the last of her ingredients, and God provided to her in a miraculous way. Her supplies did not run out, just as God had promised. Why did Jesus use this story for one of his examples? Partly because the widow lived in, Zara, um, lived in where she lived. She was outside of Israel. She was outside the camp, so to speak. Right? That saying that, you know what, this, this message, if you're going to reject this message, Israel, it's going to the Gentiles. Right? It's salvation for all people, meaning Jews and Gentiles alike. The gospel is going to all people. This is one of the main themes in Luke's writing, as, as I've said before. But Jesus also used the story for another reason. Here it is. The widow had to believe God's promise before she saw God's miracle. The widow had to believe God's promise before she saw God's miracle. Now keep this in context. He just told the people in the synagogue, you demand a sign. You want me to do what I did in Capernaum in order for you to believe. So he brings in this first example. You know what? There's a widow. Let me tell you about Elijah, the prophet, who had no honor in his hometown. He had to go outside. He had to go outside of Israel, down to the land of Baal, to find someone that would actually believe the message of God before they saw any sign. That's his point. The widow had to believe God's promise before she saw God's miracle. She had to believe it before she could see it. Something the people in the synagogue was unwilling to do. Jesus was calling the people of Nazareth to do the same thing, to take God at his word. To take God at his word. Did he have the power to perform miracles? <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. Could he have done the same thing in Nazareth that he did in Capernaum? Of course he could. But first things first, the people had to believe the gospel according to Jesus. They had to believe the gospel according to Jesus. They had to re recognize their spiritual poverty and captivity to sin, then trust in Christ to save them. They wanted Jesus to do his miracles first, but he wanted them to come to him through faith in his word. He said they had to believe it to see it. They had to believe it to see it. In fact, the story of Naaman teaches the same lesson. Luke 4, 27 says, And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Again, like the, the widow, Naaman was an outsider, a commander in the army of one of Israel's most hated enemies. So he gets leprosy. How am I going to solve this? And one of the people within the kingdom says, oh, maybe you can go and see Israel's God. Maybe he'll heal you. But you know what? Here's the idea that it has to be more than just financial because Naaman was very rich. So here Jesus is trying to give examples of those who responded because they knew their need, because they were poor in spirit. He had a very, very poor widow, and he had a very, very rich general, a very powerful general who had leprosy. 
He's using the two spectrums to try to show us that it's, no, he's talking about being poor in spirit, about knowing that we are in need. Naaman, again, was an outsider, a commander in the army of one of Israel's most hated enemies. And like the widow, Naaman was extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy. So he traveled all the way down to Syria after visiting the king, and the king, he ripped his robes. He's like, why is he asking this of me? Is he trying to start a war? I can't do anything. So he goes down, and, and Elijah sends word, and Naaman goes down to Syria to see God's prophet Elijah to see if he could do anything for him. Elijah did have a remedy. Elijah doesn't even come out. He sends a message out to Naaman. Here, Naaman, you know, he's, he's a general. He's a very powerful poem. He probably had a whole slew of people traveling with him because that's how, how they traveled in those days. And he comes up to this prophet Elijah, probably living in a very humble way. And, and Elijah doesn't even go out to greet him, to, to actually give him the respect of, uh, uh, of a king. He just sent a message. Here's what you need to do to be healed, Naaman. Well, that, that kind of miffed Naaman just just a little bit, right? No, uh, and hear Elijah's heart here. There was no way Elijah was going to get Naaman to take credit for it. That was his problem, right? Or in no way was, was he going to allow Naaman to give Elijah the credit. Elijah was trying to accomplish one thing, and that was this. Believe the word because God said it, and it will happen. Believe, and you will see. Believe, and you will see. In 2 Kings 5.11, here's what happened as, as Elijah sends this message out to Naaman. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that we would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. That sentence right there, you can preach 10 messages from there because we all want God to do what we want him to do. In fact, Naaman, this story is, is one of my favorite stories, probably because it beats me up the most, because <laughs> it preaches the gospel to me the most. It preaches the gospel to me the most. So Naaman had this idea of how it's going to go down, and Elijah just sent word. And Naaman turns to leave, and his servant poses this question. Listen to the question of his wise servant. But his servants came near and said to him, this is 2 Kings 5.13, My father, it is great word the prophet has spoken to you. Right? This is a great word. He just told you how to be healed from leprosy. But you know what? It wasn't done the way I want it to be done, so I'm not going to listen. I'm just going to go back to my kingdom. My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? See, his challenge is if the prophet would ask him to do something great, would you have not done it? Like, if he told you to, to, to go take out this small village, whatever it is, I, I don't know what he could say to, to show his power, right? To show Naaman's power. You show your power, your self-sufficiency, and then we will, we will heal you of leprosy. That's what Naaman was thinking because that's how Naaman always thinks. Actually, that's how we always think because of the fall. So many times we, when we're reading, especially like the Old Testament or anybody in the Bible, they are all experiencing and have the same effect that we have today. 
from the fall. This idea that we always want to be self-sufficient. So he challenged them. He's like, man, if he wanted you to do something great, wouldn't you go do it? All he's asking you to do is is to go dip in the Jordan. Now, the Jordan was a, a stinky river, and, and if you read that account, there was, he, he named other rivers, like, these are much cleaner rivers for me to, to go do this, and why don't you do it my way, right? But no, Elijah said, Jordan, dip, be healed. See, what the prophet asked him to do, to be healed, was real simple, to humble himself. To humble himself. So Jesus is saying, I, I proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives. All you have to do is humble yourself. Humble yourself. Naaman does humble himself and dips into Jordan, and he is healed. See, this is Jesus' point to the people sitting in the synagogue. You must humble yourself and admit you are in need of a Savior. You must humble yourself and admit you are in need of a Savior. Jesus is calling the people of Nazareth and us to faith. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus who he says he is? Oh, but it's Joseph's boy. It's Joseph's boy. If they refused to believe, he would give his grace to those who would believe, just as he did in the days of Elijah and Elijah. But if only they took him at his word, they would see the salvation of their God. This is one of the greatest paradoxes of the Christian faith. If we want to receive eternal life, we need to believe the promise of the gospel. God does not take us to heaven first and then ask us if we want to go there. Instead, he invites us simply to believe in Christ, promising that when we do, we will be saved forever. We have to believe it in order to see it. See, the people of Nazareth still couldn't see it. They were not ready to believe it. The longer he spoke, the matter they got. We pick it up in verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built so that they could throw him down off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. They heard the gospel, and they didn't like it. And they're going to throw this Jesus off the cliff. Because after all, he was just Joseph's boy. See, when Jesus attacked their self-sufficiency, they were greatly offended. They rejected Jesus, not because they did not have enough evidence, but because they would not admit their spiritual need. They would not humble themselves. They would not dip themselves in the Jordan. They would not make the last, use the last ingredients they had to make the bread to receive the miracle. Every time we sin, every time we sin, we are rejecting Christ. We are rejecting Christ. The interesting thing is we are not throwing Jesus off the cliff, we're throwing ourselves off the cliff. We're throwing ourselves off the cliff. According to Jesus, the gospel was for the people who were poor, 
blind, and captive. But as far as the people of Nazareth were concerned, they were none of these things. They were good, law-keeping, Bible-believing, worship-attending Jews. As far as we know from the Gospel of Luke, this was the last time that Jesus ever appeared in Nazareth. He went away and never returned. As John comments in his Gospel, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. They didn't believe. For some of them, it must have been the last opportunity they'd ever had to hear Jesus preach. To believe that he was the Christ. And to worship him as their Savior and their Lord. They missed their chance. Rather than receiving him by faith, he demanded more evidence. And when he refused to give it into their demands, they tried to kill him. Luke tells us these things to confront us with the claims of Christ. The question comes back to us. Who is Jesus? And what does he want with me? As we see how people respond to Jesus, we start to realize that we need to make a response of our own. We do not wish to kill him, of course. But if Jesus is who he says he is, then even an indifferent response will condemn us. Even an indifferent response will condemn us. We can't walk the line. We can't say, oh, great, Jesus, I believe in you for my salvation. Let me stick it in that pocket, and I'll live my life the way I want to live it. It doesn't work that way. As Miss Miyagi say, you walk this way, no, no karate. You walk that way, no karate. You walk in the middle, squash like grape. That's judgment day. We're all facing it. There is no this indifferent idea. There is no indifference. We have heard the same gospel that people heard in Nazareth, preached the same Christ. Jesus says that he can rescue us from our debt and bondage to sin and restore our spiritual sight. This is exactly what we need. If only we will admit it. If we trust in him, brothers and sisters, he will release us and rescue us. Maybe for the first time, but definitely for the thousandth time and the ten thousandth time as we grow in our sanctification. As we continue to dig down to the roots of unbelief, where we're worshiping idols and worshiping other things, and this is what causes us to sin, to go against the Word of God. But if you believe and trust in Him, He will set you free. And all that joy that comes from being set free. Oh, that joy that comes from being set free. Do you believe Him today? Or is He just Joseph's son? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit is working in people's lives. Lord, I pray for the one that may not know you. And Lord, all of a sudden that I'm talking about this Jesus who sets people free and forgives sin and what he's done. And then, man, now seeing for who he is. And Lord, I pray that they would turn from trusting in themselves and fully trust in Christ and 
received the gift of salvation. And today is their day of jubilee where they are freed from the, the penalty of sin. And one day they will be freed from the presence of sin when we are with glory in glory with him. And Father, I do pray for each one as myself who get up each and every day and, and try to walk by the Spirit, try to trust in the Lord. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see him for who he is, to trust and believe in him in what area of life that we might be struggling in because that is where freedom is found and truly trusting and believing in him. And Father, I just pray that you would help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.